Well, God is certainly, certainly doing things in my own life. God is certainly doing things I'm, I'm praying in your life and in the life of our church. If he's not, we're doing something wrong. Would you agree with that? Just to a point. Uh, that doesn't mean we always feel God's presence. That doesn't mean we always have, you know, a sense. That doesn't mean we always feel good. But we can have the confidence of knowing that God is always there. But there's to a point, we're always on this journey. We're always moving closer uh, to in a relationship with him. So uh, God often compares the relationship of the church and Jesus to that of a husband and a wife. Uh, if, in case you don't know this, um, so Frank was teasing us last uh, on Thursday. He was teasing me more so uh, because my wife came with me to the hot dog lunch on Tuesday. And uh, my wife and I were picking on each other, like in a nice kitty sort of gross way, like just being ridiculous together and kind of like newlyweds kind of thing, but like better. And so uh, he was teasing us. He says, so good to see a couple in love. And uh, did you know that I love my wife more now than I did from the first time that I said I do at the altar? If you're married, you probably know what that is like. If not, we're going to help you work on that. But it, uh, the goal of any relationship is the longer you know someone, the closer you get. And it's the same thing when we, we look at our relationship with God. The longer we know him, the closer to him that we get. And when do we arrive? We hit a certain age. You know, we look at our, our retirement age, 65, the government gives us a check, right? Is that correct? I'm not 65. I'm not close to that. Anyone here 65 yet? They get a check from the government. Yeah, is that true? Maybe? Okay. So we look at that as the age of retirement. Okay, I've arrived. You know, I can finally stop working. But most people who are retired don't really stop working, do they? However... We never really have a point of arrival because we're always on this journey in our faith with God. And you say, Pastor Gary, that sounds like a lot of work because relationships are hard. And you're right. It is. There are moments and seasons in our lives where serving Jesus, following him, getting to know him can be difficult processes. Sometimes we have to go through hard times to discover just how good God really is. You know, in any relationship, in, in every movie, that every good movie out there that tells a good story has something to do with some sort of relationship, right? It's okay, they're good friends, or they're a couple, and they get together, things are good, and then there's some sort of trial that happens, and then they end up way much, so much stronger and better after that trial, right? Is that every, pretty well, every movie, everyone lives happily ever after, every good story sort of follows a similar pattern to a point. But we know that through the trials, through the fire, through the hard times, that's when our relationships get strained the most. That's when it's the hardest to move on. But yet when we come out on the other side, we end up stronger and better than we did before we got there. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. If you've never been there, it's coming. And I promise you this, even when it's there, we're going to be there for you and we're going to be there with you because uh, we want to see you flourish in what God has for you. Uh, over the next two weeks, this week, next week, we're going to be talking about what's next. So you can throw that slide up there, gentlemen at the back. So thankful to have Chad back with us this week. And uh, he decided to skip out on the most important Sunday of his life. And I baked a cake. I had balloons. I had a clown. We were going to have a birthday party. I'm just kidding. We didn't have any of that, Chad. He's not listening to me. He's too busy doing what I asked him to do. But last month, our last Monday, Chad had a birthday and he missed out on us being able to celebrate his birthday last week and so Chad I know you're working hard to get what I want up on the screen but let me just tell you to pause and say happy birthday thank you 
All right, so what's next for you, sir? One year older. You know, this is a significant birthday for you, was it not? It just felt like every other birthday to me. Only 40. Only 40. Happy birthday. Appreciate you so much. So what's next? What's next? That's like, that's the number one question when you have a birthday. So like, what does it feel like? I don't know. It kind of feels like yesterday. It does. And then, you know, you wake up one day and you think, I don't quite feel the same as I used to. <laughs> and I'm not even 40 yet. Okay. But what's next? Here's one thing that I've learned and that I've experienced and I've seen people go through is that if you want to grow, if you want to realize all that God has for you, you have to get yourself in a position. You have to get yourself in a place. You have to get yourself in the right kind of environment for that to happen. So if you want to have like a really good farm, vegetable garden or, or, or these kinds of things, Terrace Bay is not the best place to plant a garden. I learned this year, uh, mostly because I hate gardening, but I really should learn how to do it because it's good to know how to get food. But what I've learned is that Terrace Bay is a hard place to garden. Um, mostly because it's cold and the ground is cold and even the summers and the springs aren't that hot. Now you could go to other places, even in Northern Ontario, and you can go to my grandmother's house in Thunder Bay and she's got a beautiful garden. You know, there's nothing better than lettuce from my grandmother's garden. You know, she's like, we're going to have salad tonight. I need you to go to the garden and pick out the lettuce. I mean, that just tastes so good, especially if you don't wash it. It's just that natural feeling is just so good. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's just so good. Or, or I love, I used to love, you know, you walk up to the garden, she'd pull a carrot out and he's like, here, have this fresh, fresh, I mean, you can't get any fresher than that. And you pull it out of the ground and you eat it yourself, but you have to have the right kind of environment for those things to grow. Psalm 92, 13 says this. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, those who are planted in a relationship with God shall flourish in the courts of our God. Those who are planted in the house of our Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Get in the right environment and good things will happen. I'm not going to tell you that bad things won't happen, that there's not going to be trials. I already said that this morning, but get in the right environment, get in the right place and good things will happen. What typically happens if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time? I was in the right place. Must have been the wrong time. You know, anyone know that song? Maybe I heard it in a movie once. Bad things typically happen when you're in the wrong place, especially when you're there at the wrong time. Get in the right environment and good things will happen. Let's throw up this picture here. The next one in the, in the list there, Chad. And uh, does this look like a place where you would want to grow something? No, this is known as Death Valley. It's in uh, the United States. Hardly anything ever really grows there. Um, very rarely will you see much of any kind of growth happen in Death Valley. But in 2004, in the winter, seven inches of rain fell in a short period of time. Now, once that happened, nothing actually happened right away. It took a little bit of time, but... When the spring came, a phenomena happened and it had flowers and growth. Let's put up the next picture. Same valley, same valley, different spot. What they realized was that Death Valley wasn't actually dead at all, but it was dormant. 
So right beneath the surface of the ground were actually seeds of potential that just needed to be in the right environment for the right things to happen. And you can go, I think it's something to do with the national parks in the States. They have a little write-up about Death Valley. You can see how much water is needed to brush off the coating that's on a seed. I didn't put that in here. I figured you could, if you're really interested, you could research it yourself. But you need so much water to, to open up so much of the seed, and then it needs so much water to sort of guide that seed and create the right environment for it to grow. You can probably see where we're going with this this morning. Get in the right environment for great things to happen. It's kind of what we're doing now as a church with Regenerate. We're putting ourselves in the right place to be here for the right time so that healthy things will grow. The right environment so that Jesus can work a new life in you, he can do a new thing in me, and he can do a new thing in us. Now, the big idea that we want to catch is that all of us are on some sort of spiritual journey. All of us are moving forward. And, and some of us are at different stages. And I want to tell you, that's okay. You know, some of us are, are up here. Some of us are over here. Some of us are just at the starting line. Some of us, maybe we're just before the starting line. And I want to let you know this morning, it's okay no matter where you are. We're all on this journey together. And we're all going to the same place. And so the key to find out is, is to find out where you are. How do I take the next step to get to the next place that God wants me to go? What do I need to do to get into a healthy place where I can begin to flourish and grow? Because your life isn't supposed to be dead. Your life isn't supposed to be boring. Following Jesus is not supposed to be the most boring punishment death sentence of your life. No, it's supposed to be the best time of your life where you can flourish in all the things that God has planned for you. Being a follower of Jesus was never meant to be boring. It was never meant to be a religious practice or a ritual or anything like that. Yes, we have processes. Yes, we have routine. Yes, we do things strategically. But it was never about checking the boxes and, and crossing the T's and dotting the I's. You were meant to flourish. You can cross as many T's, dot as many I's as you want, but that is not going to get you to Jesus. Yule Shore, this is Psalm sixteen eleven says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures for forevermore. You show me the path of life. In other words, when I see the path, when I know the journey, there's going to be joy in the presence and the pleasures of God. We're going to jump back into the book of Ephesians this morning, Ephesians chapter one. You can turn there if you want, or I did something extra special and I put a bunch of words on the screen at the same time, but we're going to read this morning. You can go ahead and put that up there. Ephesians chapter one, verse 17. Now, I think it was two ish weeks ago. I actually read through the entire book of Ephesians and I didn't want us to miss this this morning. This is where we're going to focus here today, but this is what it says. I'm going to read it from the Bible and the screen. If I can do that, he says, this is the words of Paul. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called. That he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That's sort of the middle part of his prayer, sort of the beginning, middle-ish of his prayer. Let's pray this morning once again. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. 
We thank you that you call us to be a people who flourish, Lord, not to be dormant or dead, but Lord, you have brought us to life. You bring us to life. Lord, every time we choose joy, every time we choose to take the next step, every time we choose to serve you over something else, Jesus, not only do you get the glory, but Lord, it's an opportunity for us to begin to flourish. We pray that you'd give us confidence. You'd give us peace. Pray that your spirit would speak to us through the reading of your word. But as we digest and look into some of these things today, God, we just pray that you would enlighten us. You would open up our hearts. You'd open up our minds so we'd understand, oh God, just a little bit more of the things that you have planned for us. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Paul says, I wish people knew where they were so that they could know where they're going. I wish people knew where they were so they could know where they could be. He mentions four different things that I think we can pay attention to today. And these are the four things that are going to help us flourish. Number one is that you can know God. You can put up that next slide. So that way we can see right from the scripture so that you may know him better. You can know God. End of story. You can know God. He uses a word here, that word know, and in the Greek, that literally means to know God in an intimate, personal way. Which, if you look at his audience that Paul is writing this letter to, you can know God in a personal, intimate way. This was such an amazing foreign concept to the audience that he was reading this to to the religious leaders of the day, to the religions that were happening in Ephesus and, and all the different uh, clashes of culture and a very multicultural city, very um, sort of polytheistic place, lots of different religions taking place in this one city that Paul is writing to. And all of them had some sort of ritual. All of them had some sort of experience on their way to try to be enlightened. And Paul walks into the scene. He writes this letter to the church in the middle of this. And he says, you can know God. Not only can you know God, but he says, you can know him intimately. In fact, the word here is kind of like the same expression. You might laugh a little bit and that's okay. It's sort of the same kind of no as a husband and wife when they, when they have babies, it's sort of that same love. Now it's not a, not a sexual thing, but it's talking about the intimacy and the closeness of God. That's how close you can know him. He says, I want you to know God. It's a term that we have to go way beyond knowing him right here, but you get to know him personally, and you get to know him with certainty. So if I look at my phone and I were to open up Facebook, if you have Facebook, you'll know what I'm talking about. You can find people that you went to high school with, childhood friends, and people that, you know, you lost connections with, and then you find them. Do you really know that person though? Not really. I could go through the contact list in my phone. And um, so here's, here's one right here. Uh, his name is Nick. I met him in high school about eight times in person. Do you think I really know Nick all that well? Not really, but if I scroll up and look at God, no, he's not contacting me. If I look at Elizabeth, I definitely know her. I definitely know Elizabeth Aduna in my phone. And it's knowing that we know with certainty. The closeness of knowing God is that we have a certainty that we can know God. Number two, we see the word enlightened there which we'll unpack that in just a few minutes. But Paul says, I wish you could know God better. And then he says, secondly, I pray that your eyes of your heart would get enlightened. What does he mean? The eyes of your heart. Second step in the journey. We realize we understand we're not looking through the eyes of our 
face and our brain. We're not looking at the logical things, but we're looking at God through our innermost being. What comes from in here? We're looking at things through what happens in here. And what, what happens when we look at life is that we look at things through the lens of our experiences. So if we've had, you know, here's an example. I'll give you my experience. I tend to look at life as a, as a student, as a child who was born and raised in a single parent home. Just my mother and I, just her and I. So every time I, I, I look at the, through my, my own human lens of life, that's what I know. That's my experience. I have a harder time relating to, to men in my life, especially ones that seem wise and strong and capable. They seem intimidating to me. It's taken me years to understand that that's not necessarily true, that I don't need to be intimidated. But working through those relationships are harder for me because I didn't grow up with it at home. Now, God has done an amazing work in my life, and he's provided incredible role models, male role models, father figures. That's a story for another day. I've shared a little bit of it before. But that's something that I look through the lens of my own life. It's harder for me to do. But we all do it. We look through our past pains. We look at life through our problems. We look at life through our hurts. We look at life through our good days, through our bad days, through our relationships. And Paul is saying this. Once you know God personally, he's invitingly, and once you know him intimately and have a relationship with, with him, he starts to work on our heart. He starts to work on our perception of who he is. He starts to shape the way we look at things and change the way we look at things through the eyes of the heavenly father. The second step of the journey is where you get your heart healed and you can begin to work on seeing things differently. And all of us in this room, we can look at the same thing and see it differently. That's why there's conflict. That's why we don't always all get along. How many here have never had a conflict with anybody ever? Ever. No one. Because we look at life differently. Even in the church, Paul writes other letters and he's writing them not to the world, but he's writing to them to the church. He's like, you guys are really messing up badly. Stop looking at life through your own eyes, through your own problems, through your own interpretations, and start looking at your neighbor as your brother, as your sister, as a part of God's family. Start looking at them through the heart and the eyes of God. That's the second step of the journey. When we actually, first, we make a decision to know God. We make a decision to follow Jesus. And the second step is say, okay, God, now that I know you, I expect that I'm no longer going to be the same person. God, I believe that you are going to begin to change my life so I can flourish, so that I can see things from a heavenly perspective. Because you know what's, you know what's crazy is when you get mad at somebody, you get mad at a situation when, when something doesn't go your way, the way you think it should go, and maybe you're right. When you begin to get angry at that person and then you have to pause and you think, how does God see that person and all the negative things that you're about to say out of your mouth, all of a sudden you can't say them anymore because you realize that they're coming from a place of brokenness too. It changes everything. Now, we still have to resolve issues. It doesn't mean they get away with things, but it changes our perspective. We need to see how important this is. Notice the words I underlined there. It says, so that. I don't think I underlined that in there, did I? So that, underline it. So that you may know him better. It's, there, it's underlined in my notes, so that's important. <laughs> so that you know him better. In other words, you can't even go there, or you can't do that until you've done the first thing. 
You can't move on to step two without knowing God. You can't move on to step three unless God does a work in your life. Unless God changes you, you can never get past those. You'll always be spinning your tires. You'll always be in the same spot, stuck in the same relationship, stuck with the same problems, wondering why am I not getting anywhere? It's because we refuse to let God change our hearts so that you might know the hope to which he has called you to. He wants you to know him. That's why he sent Jesus. Only Jesus could, could connect us to the father. He wants us to know him. He wants to change us. He wants to change our heart. And he wants to change our perspective. You know why? Because he made us in his image. He made us to look and love and feel just like God feels. And so he's working on us to make us back into the image that he first intended, us for, intended for us to be in. He's creating us in us a new life so that you might have the hope to which he has called you. How many here would love to have a little more hope in your life, a little more positivity in your life? You can't go wrong with that, especially in a world of darkness and a world of pain and a world of suffering. We can all use a little more hope. So now that we realize that it's part of our spiritual journey, it's time to realize that God has created you on purpose for a purpose. Say purpose. Oh, some of you are listening. Good. God has created you on purpose for a purpose. Someone once said the two greatest days of your life. The first one is the day you were born. The second one is when you find out why. Greatest day of your life, the day you were born. The second greatest day, the day you find out why. On purpose for a purpose. You can't see it if you don't know the first two things. You just, you can't do it. Now, there's some wildly successful people out there that live life without Jesus that doesn't mean they're fulfilling their purpose. They may seem happy. They may, they may even be happy, but they are not fulfilling their purpose because it's impossible. It's virtually impossible to see what God has for your life. If one, you don't know him and two, you haven't let him do work in you. Maybe you've ever wondered, why do I not know what God's purpose is for my life? Why don't I know God, what you want me to do? Why do I not know why I exist on this earth? It's because we haven't got to know God and we haven't allowed him to do a work in us. Why do things always seem the same? It's like the same thing over and over again. Why do things never change? It's because we never allowed God to work on our heart. We never got to know him closely and intimately. We might know all about God. We might know this and that about him. We might have even had experiences with him, but those experiences have never been enough to change us. That's why we find ourselves sitting in the same pain of yesterday we don't want to sit in that pain. We don't want to sit in that suffering. That's what God saved me from. He saved me from darkness, not to live in it again, but to bring me out of it. Setting aside the pain of, setting aside the pain of yesterday so that you can see the promise of tomorrow. Once you do set aside the past, Paul says, I wish you might know the hope he has called to. You know, it, uh, the last, uh, last few weeks, I was helping Dan build a shed in his backyard. And uh, he was really working hard to get the roof on before the snow came. And uh, I made a joke to him. I said, wouldn't it be nice if we could just do the roof first? You know, we do the roof first. We don't have to worry about getting it on before the snow comes. Well, has anyone ever tried to do that before? You build the roof first? It doesn't, it doesn't work out too well. It's the same thing following this journey with God. You can't just, just jump ahead. Oh, I just want to know what God has for my life. Well, how do you know what God's going to have for your life if you don't get to know the one you're talking to? How do you know the plans 
It's, it's like, okay, I'm going to use my wife again. So if we're going on a trip somewhere and we've never gone there before, and maybe she's gone there, if I don't ask her how to get there, we're going to get lost. And I want to blame her, even though I didn't ask her for help. Like if those who are married, you're probably chuckling a little bit because it's true. You know, there's nothing more embarrassing when I want to get mad at somebody for something that was done wrong. And then you realize that I was the person that didn't turn off the light. Why is the light on kids? Why is, why don't you turn the light off? Why is the toilet seat down? Why all this, all these things? Oh, that was my fault. It was me. Here I am getting mad. We have to know the person we're talking to to get the directions. We have to talk to them. We have to get to know God if we want to know where we're going. We have to allow him to change us. Notice here that the words hope and calling are connected. You want to know that there's hope in this world? He uses it in the same sentence. The hope to which he has called you. The hope in which he has called you. In other words, if you want to find hope, if you want to, if you want to find hope, you're never going to find it in your circumstances. You're never going to just find it by accident. So I'm just going to, you know, some days we, you know, especially when you're driving Southern Ontario, you know, it's like you got to get the right exit at the right time when you're coming off the 401 or the 400 or something like that. And sometimes, like I used to look at it this way, sometimes I would get lucky and I'd end up exactly where I needed to be. And that's all it was. It doesn't work that way when you're following God. You just don't happen to show up. Oh, I just happened to find out where God wanted me to be. Isn't that cool? No, it doesn't exactly work that way. You don't just stumble upon a calling. Now, you may be in a, in a process. You may sort of discover something new, but it doesn't just happen. You find hope in knowing why you're on this planet. You find hope in knowing why you're called, what your purpose is. Knowing our purpose, knowing that we're here on purpose for a purpose is the source of hope in our life. That's actually a very powerful truth uh, because it brings us joy even on our worst days. Maybe when we get that really bad phone call or just a really tough situation, we can still have joy and know that there's hope because we know that we're fulfilling all that God has called us to do. We know that we're flourishing even in difficult situations. You know, I think, I think I've said this to our board before, our pastor's council. I said, I don't mind dealing with the tough things. I don't always like it. I always like some of those things, but I, I don't mind it because I still have a hope at the end of the day. I still have a hope and I know that I'm exactly where God wants me to be. It's a powerful truth because so many people need hope. You know, how many of us can relate to this? I need my family life to work out better. I need relationship with my friends to work out better. I need my workplace to be a better place. Uh, I need the, if you're a farmer, this has been a tough year in Saskatchewan. If, if um, I, you know, I need the weather to work out better. I need politics. There's a big one to be better. I need my job to be better. No, no. It's found in knowing that we're here for a purpose on purpose. It's not found in these, these other things. So when things go our way, maybe it feels good, but that's not real hope. And Paul goes on to say, it doesn't matter what's happening on around me. He says, I don't care if the world's falling apart. I have my eyes fixed on seen things, not on the seen things, but the unseen things. I have my eyes fixed on God because the things that I can see, those are temporary the things that I can't see are eternal. The things that I put my attention on need to be the things of God. So this is the progression Paul gives us. Just like Paul prayed, I want us to see how important it is for us to flourish. How important it is for us to have an intimate, powerful, 
complete relationship with God. And if you can't even do the second one without doing the first one, but once you do that, you can know the powerful work that takes place on the inside. When we settle yesterday, once and for all, when we deal with the pain, when we deal with our past hurts, when we deal with the problems that we've dealt with, that we've all gone through, that some of us have yet to go through, when we choose to deal with them and let God work on our heart, we can begin to realize our purpose and our potential and the hope and the call that God has on our lives. When we settle yesterday's past, we can realize that you're not supposed to spend the rest of your life not supposed to spend the rest of your Christian life praying for the same old things and issues that you've been praying for since day one. You know, because it's not about you. It's not about your problems. You know, give them to Jesus and let him deal with them and move forward. You're supposed to get out there with the purpose in your life and do something that really matters. How many here like to do something that matters? Like, you could probably relate to this. It's, um, it's like doing a job and not knowing why you're doing it saying why this is the same thing over and over and over again. And it gets us nowhere. It doesn't do anything. Am I really making a difference? Does it really matter? And I think in most cases, what it really means is that we, I think often just need to forgive others the way that Christ has forgiven us. You know, God has given us so much grace and we need to take that same grace and begin to show it to others. We need to do in others what he has done in us. And we can begin to see and understand the purpose and the call that he's had on us. Paul ends his verse this way. He says, so you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. To realize that not only do you have purpose, not only can you make it be whole again, but you can make a difference. What is, what is the inheritance that God is talking about? Well, it's essentially, it's people. It's a group of people that God now wants to make sure that you're connected with people who also know their purpose. And what happens? What happens when we do that? What happens when we get to know our purpose? What happens when we get to know our inheritance? I mean, he gives us the nations. He gives us the very thing that he sent his son to do. He gives us people. People are the reward. People are the inheritance. When we start to figure out our own lives, we start to figure out what God wants for our own lives. The people that we begin to pray for, we, 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 we go, it's almost like the light bulb comes on and we get to see people the way God sees them. And we get to see that God can do in them what he's done in us. And we get to find out ways that we actually can make that happen. We in our faithfulness and our relationship and our purpose to get, get to inherit the very thing God gave his son for people. We get to experience the blessing of seeing others know God. Think of the loved one that we're, we're desperate to see them know God. Maybe it's a child, a, a parent, a spouse, a sibling, a friend. Maybe it's just a coworker. Maybe it's someone that you don't like, an enemy. And you think if they just knew God, things in their life would just be so much fresher and new and they could flourish. This is why we move and take the next step forward. So now we have purpose. We know our purpose. We're clear on how to actually reach. We have to be clear on how to actually reach the inheritance. We have to sort of set up steps and, and figure out what does that actually mean? And, and what that really means is learning how to communicate with people in a way that they understand. 
How do we communicate with people that aren't sitting in this room today in words and actions that they can relate to so that they can know God and they can understand, you know, they can know God, find freedom, be enlightened, discover purpose and make a difference. You know, we can use the big church words, right? As salvation. That's just knowing God. And we can use the other, you know, big church words, sanctification. If I were to ask what the definition of that, I, some of us may wait, be able to, to say what that is, but that's basically allowing God to work on our heart. That's finding freedom. I said I would explain that song we sang at the beginning of the service, where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. What does that really mean? Chains, chains are gone. Prisons break at the sound of Jesus' name. That's the process. That's, what's, that's the image of what's happening when God works on our heart. You know, when we begin to surrender our lives to him and we allow him to change the things inside of us, it's like the prison gates have flung open. We're no longer held to the ties of our past. We're no longer bound to who we once were. We're made alive in him. There's freedom in Jesus. Sanctification, he's making us whole again. He's giving us freedom. Redemption, finding purpose. And finally, deliverance, make a difference. You know, secular, you know, people, people actually want to know God. People actually want to know that God is real. People actually want hope. And everyone has an area in their life where they can find freedom. And all of us know there has to be a purpose in life. Everyone knows there has to be a purpose in life. And God has put everyone's life, has put into everyone's life the desire to make a difference. You can't find someone and say, you know, would you like to live your life really boring and not have anything meaning to it? Most people are going to say no. No, people say, you know, I want my life to mean something. I want to make a difference. I want to see things happen through my life. I want people to remember me. This sort of that's, God just sort of builds and wires that into us. And he created us to make a difference. Even secular sociologists have proven that the highest need that a person can have that can be met in the human heart is to live your life in such a way that it makes a difference. You know, they used to think it was, well, if I have a high paying job and, and lots of money and I take care of things and, and people look at me with success, then I'll feel fulfilled. No, what they learned was, is that the number one thing, people actually want to feel like their life makes a difference. They actually want to feel like they matter. Now we know that every person matters to God, but they don't know that. They don't know that they matter. There's this, there's this inner being of, of wanting to be accepted that they want to make a difference the deep down feeling inside that you're called to make a difference. You cannot do that unless you can discover your purpose. You can't discover your purpose unless you, unless you settled yesterday and you cannot do that without knowing God. And that's why I love being a part of church because this is what we're all about. You know, every time we get together, we, we hope and believe that you get to know God a little bit more when you come to church on Sunday. When you have coffee with someone, when you get to know someone, we expect that you get to know God just a little bit more. You know, we, we open the Bible, the, the words that God has written to us. We expect that you'll get to know God a little bit better. And we don't expect that you just get to read that and say, oh, that was a good story. That was a good, that was a good experience. No, we, we expect that it helps change us. It helps us grow. It helps us to change into the people that God has called us to do. And then we get up and we share stories of, of what God's doing in our lives. And, you know, God opened up this door for me. God, God has done this work in me. He's changing my heart. And, you know, I think I could do that for somebody else. Or I think, I think I can do this or that. And we begin to understand the purpose. And the more we understand our purpose, the more hope we have for ourselves and for others. 
And as we start walking in that routine of understanding why God has placed us on this earth, why has God saved me? You know, I, I, I wrestled with this question a lot and I still do sometimes because my story is very easy. Like God gave me a really easy life for the most part. You know, I came home one day from school and I said, mom, I was in, I was in, I was in senior kindergarten. I walked in the door and I said, mom, how come we don't go to church? And she looked at me and said, where'd that come from? Why do you want to go to church? I said, I don't know. We need to start going to church and we're going to go to the church by our house, which was the Pentecostal church. And she said, no, I heard weird things about that place. We're not going there. (laughs) She was raised Catholic. And so she said, we're going to go to the Catholic church. And so away we went 10 minutes in. I said, mom, this isn't the church for us. We went to the United Church and I went into the little Sunday school ring, this room, they sang Jesus loves me. And I said, this isn't the church for us. Not that Jesus doesn't love me, but this isn't where God wants us to be. And went to the Baptist church. Mom, this isn't where God wants us to be. Finally, went to the Pentecostal church. And, you know, I I was thinking about this the other day as I was writing these things down. I remember going down to Sunday school and it wasn't anything like they didn't have, like it wasn't anything elaborate. It was two ladies in the room singing. I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. And it was simple, but I don't even know what the Bible lesson was in kids' church that day. But I knew that this is where God had called us to be. I just knew. My mom sat in the service. Uh, I don't know. She doesn't even know what the pastor was preaching about, something totally different. But she sat there feeling totally convicted about where she was in her life, where she was in her relationship with God. Pastor didn't preach anything to that effect. She just sat there and felt the presence of the Holy Spirit knocking on her heart. She just sat there and God began to, to do a work in her. And she says, I'm never coming back here. I don't like that feeling. I'm never coming back here. I came up running up the stairs, you know, five years old, excited, jumping up and down. We as were walking home down the hill. This is the church we're going to go to, mom. This is where we're going to go. This is where we're, this is where we're supposed to be. And she said, I'm never going back there. Two weeks, she sat in that conviction and said, I have to go back. And we never left. She went back, gave her heart to the Lord and and that's sort of the end of the story. You know, I just always knew that's where God wanted us to be. And ever since I was six years old, I've served in ministry. I sat where Chad is sitting now running the soundboard. You know, those big old things, huge knobs, because it was, you know, 100 years old. And I, I started serving in ministry in the sound room. And then I started, they, Ellie asked me today, when did you learn to play guitar? I said, grade three. And I didn't tell the rest of the story. He says, I wanted to be like the people on the stage that were playing music to Jesus. I just knew it. Just, I just knew. I just knew the prayer. It's been easy for me. And so I just did what, what I felt God told me to do. And as I did, I got to know God a little bit more. The more I got to know God, the, the more I, uh, he, he would sort of change my life. And, 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 you know, I talked about being in a single parent home. You know, I never regretted it for a day in my life. People told me, Gary, you have to pray for a father. So I would. And finally, I hit a point of maturity in my life and in my faith. And it was like, God said, why? I'm your heavenly father. Am I not good enough for you? I said, yeah, I guess you are. <laughs> it's been easy for me. But, and I know that's not everyone's story. Some of us, it's, it's work to know God. It's, it's work to understand the purpose and the plans he has for us. I just always know this is what God's wanted me to do. I've just, I've had a heart for the church. I love the church and I love the potential the church holds. I think that's what I love the most is like when I look at our church, I think, man, there's so much that we could do as a church to see the kingdom of God grow on the North shore of Ontario and Lake Superior. 
Think of all the lives that need Jesus and we can give that to them. We can give them hope. We can give them new, we can offer them new life. We can offer them a second, a third, a fourth chance. We can see people flourish in their faith. We got to figure this stuff out ourselves. We got to get close to the father. We have to know God. We have to not only know him, but we have to actually allow him to change us. We have to allow him to work on us. So that means, that might mean we got to put away some of the bitterness, some of the pains that we've had, even, even people that have wronged us. We have to learn how to forgive. Because if we hold on to that, we're never going to move forward. We're never, we, we might be able to experience a little bit of our potential, but we're never going to be able to experience all that God has, has for us. The more we hold on to the past, the less we get to experience in the future. And then we're going we're gonna to feel like we're left behind. Then we're going to feel like, God, why do you never do anything in my life? God, why are you? Why have I never changed? Why am I always feeling the same thing? Because we've never allowed him to change that one thing in our heart. So today... We need to know God because it's the first step. My wife has an incredible story about knowing God. You should ask her sometime. She was raised Catholic church, you know, similar call. She loved the church. She went, even when, even when her family and siblings stopped going, she went. She didn't understand everything. She, she understands the routine and the ritual and all of these things. And then she was invited to a youth group and they went and they went to a, a Christian concert. And she really wasn't sure about anything. And she was amazed to watch thousands of teenagers worshiping God, singing Christian songs about God. She was totally blown away that there were other people like her <laughs> to a point. And then she was told, no, you can actually know God personally changed her life. You know, it, was, it wasn't always easy for her being a part of a, Pentecostal youth group going to the Catholic church on Sunday, and then going home and not being able to express the things that God was doing in her heart simply because they didn't understand. And yet God has just done incredible things in her life and revealed himself to her. And, and, and she's just got an amazing story. You know, it's, it's amazing that when you worship, it, it matters to God, but it also matters to others as well. You know, that's why I might encourage you somewhat enthusiastically lift up your hands. Maybe you don't feel like it. One, because God deserves it. Two, because it's a, it's a sign of surrender from our lives that we surrender to your will, God. But three, it encourages the people around you. When you begin to sing, we sing one for God because he deserves it. But two, we sing so the people around us could know that God is real. We need to find freedom. Now, I think most of us in this room, we've probably taken that first step. We probably say we know God. At least we've made a decision to serve and follow Jesus. But maybe we're at the point in our life where we really need to help God help us deal with some of the stuff in our life. We maybe are at the spot to, you know, God, I really just need you to do a work so I can see all the plans and purposes you have for me. I need you to deal with the hurt and the pains that I have. I need you to deal with the stuff, the struggles that are in my life because I want to move forward. And I've got good news. The solution is then God set in motion a way for you to do that. He set in motion for a way to, for you to find freedom today. He actually has a plan. It's not just words. You think, well, how do I do that? James 5.16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so you will be healed. You know, we go to God for forgiveness and he does. He forgives us. And James says, you know, 
if you want to go to the healing part, it's one thing to confess, but if you want to be healed, if you want to be made whole, you're going to have to tell someone else about it. You know, he's not saying stand in front of the church and here's the list of things that I struggle with. He's not saying that. He's saying, you know, go, go to one other person. Go find a group of people, get together with people where you can share your struggles because this is what's going to happen when you do that. You're going to begin to share and someone in the group and someone close to you is going to go, I've been there. I've had to deal with that myself. And in fact, you know, there's days that I still, I still struggle there. And you get to learn and encourage one another. And it's those moments that offer healing to move us from step one to step two. Just move from step two to step three. When we begin to open our mouths and confess and share the burdens and the struggles that we have, because believe it or not, we're not supposed to be Christians by ourselves. When we confess to someone else, we're going to find hurt. We're going to discover, we're going to share our hurts. We're going to share our pains, but this is what we're going to find. We're going to find trust. We're going to find accountability. We're going to find support. We're going to find love. We're going to find acceptance. We're going to have someone that's going to pray for us. You're not going to do it alone. You're going to find people to do it with you. For some of us, it's where we're on right now in our spiritual journey. We aren't the best version of ourselves because we're, we're too afraid to share. What, what will they say of me? What would they think if they only knew? We have to let God deal with those things. Discovering purpose. If we're going to know God, we're going to find freedom. Once we do that, we discover why. For a bunch of us, I think this is probably where most of us are, in fact. I would say most Christians are probably at this spot in their journey. They need to discover their purpose. Um, according to a study in America, 87% of the body of Christ does not know what part of the body they are. They don't know what their function is, what the purpose is for them in their local church. Can you imagine if your physical body, if 80% of your body just decided, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? 87%. And we wonder why only 13% or 20% of people actually serve in, a, in the local church because the rest of them don't know what to do. The rest of them don't know what their purpose is. They don't know what part of the body they are. And you know, this is, this is the best analogy I can give you. If you get on a boat, especially a big boat, it's really hard to turn a boat when it's standing still in the water. If you want to turn a boat, get it moving. Because once it's moving, you know, that rudder works. It's like in a, if you, you can use, even in a canoe, right? Like you sit in a canoe and you want to turn. What do you got to do? You got to put the paddle in the water. You got to start moving. It's the same thing. You know, I, that's what I tell people. I said, just start serving. You know, I, I was six years old. I started serving in the sound room. Now I found my passion. I never left. But start serving, start giving, start doing something. And you know what? Maybe that's not the exact thing that you want. Like, Maybe I really shouldn't be teaching Sunday school. Like I should not be teaching Sunday school. Like I'll do it. I've done it and I'll continue. If I need to, I'll do it, but it's not my gift. But you know, I want to, I want to make a difference. I want to know what God has for my life. So I'm going to volunteer somewhere, but here's the thing, you know, maybe that's not working out. We'll just shift you over. We'll just put you in place somewhere else. You know, we'll just, we'll get you moving, get you in the routines, get you in the habit. And as you do that, as you serve one, you get to know God a little bit more. 
You get encouraged by the people around you. You build trust. You build confidence so the people around you can help you deal with the things that you need to deal with. And then three, you, as you do these things, you begin to understand what it is that I'm actually passionate about. What are the things? These are the things that, look, I actually really enjoyed serving at the Christmas banquet. I loved being in the kitchen. And, and as I was in the kitchen, I got to bring someone else along with me. And I got to tell them about Jesus as they served with me in the kitchen. And, and God just opened up this whole life and this thing. It's amazing. I've discovered what I want to do. But how do I do that? I start moving and I get into the right place. Start serving. Start somewhere. Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me unless I finish the race, the call that God has for my life. I consider my life worth nothing unless I finish the race. And I want us to have the same thing. You know, Romans 12 says that we are the church. We have different gifts. And the word gifts here is, the word, is, is really the word charis, which we get the word charismatic from. Now, I'm not talking about some weird, crazy, charismatic, wild person in church. Now, what does it mean? It's the unique grace gift that God has given to each and every one of us to use. It's a unique gift that God has given us to make a difference in the life of somebody else. If you have something that God has destined before time, you know that you're good at then when you do it, there's a fulfillment when you actually do what you're good at. And it makes a difference in people's lives. If you want your life to be successful, we've got to go on a pursuit of the purposes that God has for you. If you want to be successful, you have to go on a pursuit of the purposes that God has for you. It's critical. And once you do, you can do this final thing. You can finally make a difference. Hey, this is why God put you in Terrace Bay to make a difference. This is why God puts you on the North Shore to make a difference. This is what you were created to do. And you weren't created just to celebrate other people who are making a difference, but God has something special for you as well. You know, some of us, it's easy to stand up here and go, good job, worship team. You really did it. But we're all called to worship. We're all called to worship. God actually has something for you as well. Sometimes we wait out of fear. Sometimes it's out of whatever fill in the blank reason. We don't take that step because maybe we feel we're not good enough. Let me tell you, none of us are good enough, but Jesus makes us good enough. So step out of that fear and make a difference. Thrive in the areas that God has called you to thrive. John says, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He continues in verse 11. He says, I have told you this so that you may have joy. I tell you this so that you may have joy. Bear much fruit. Do the things that God has called you to do. Be the person that God has called you to be because you will have joy. So let's get moving, church. It's like sitting at the red light. You know, sometimes, I don't, I don't know if I've ever felt this. Sometimes, you know, you're sitting at the red light and you see the person ahead of you texting, especially those advanced greens to turn. And you know that they're going to miss the light. It's going to turn green and they're not going to move. Anyone ever been there? What do you want to do? Just lay on the horn, right? Move! You know, sometimes as leaders, we can feel that way. It's like, just deal. Just, just deal with your stuff with God. Discover your purpose and get moving. Just go. Because when we begin to go and we begin to move, when we get that ship going and turning every which way God wants it to go, things happen. People's lives begin to change. You know, the people that we are praying for that, you know, we pray on Thursday mornings quite often for people with addictions, we pray quite often people would experience healing. We pray quite often that people would have freedom and know God. You know, when we start discovering our purpose, when we start communicating in ways people understand, lives begin to change. 
Those things begin to happen when we can figure out what God has called us to do. And, and here's the thing to remember. It's not an overnight thing. It's a process. One step at a time. Can't jump to step four if you never do step one. And even step one or step two, step three, they may take days, months, maybe even years. There isn't a rush, but let's get moving. Let's get moving. Does that sound okay to you? Do you want God to do something in your life? Do you want God to use you to make a difference? I know I want him to use me to make a difference. I'm still figuring it out along the way. But it's so amazing when you see God begin to use you and someone's life changes because you were present, because you were exactly where God needed you to be. Let's pray. Let me pray for you rather. I want to stand as I pray for you. And as I pray for you, I just expect that you'll just hear from God a little bit today. Heavenly Father, I give you praise for you are good. Lord, for those of us in this room, we believe this morning that you have called us to make a difference. Lord, you've called us to be your sons and your daughters. You've adopted us. You've taken care, oh God, of our identity and where we stand. But Jesus, I pray that you would use us to make a difference. I pray that we would have confidence in knowing who we are in you, O oh Lord. I pray that we would have confidence to know that it's okay that we struggle, that it's okay that we go through hard times because God, you never leave us and you never forsake us. Lord, you've never turned your back on us. And you'll never do that again. So God, we pray today for those waiting for a miracle, waiting for you to do a work in their lives. I pray that our hearts would be open, our hearts would be ready to receive from you. Jesus, we know that the plans that you have for our lives are good. The things that you've called us to are good things, Lord. Would you bring us closer to you, Lord, every step of the way, everywhere we go? Lord, would you help us make a difference in the lives, Lord, for those of us that have been praying and waiting for you to do something? God, we believe in change today. We believe that it's possible. And Lord, we don't realize today we don't do this alone, but we do it together. Lord, you haven't failed us yet, Lord, and you won't fail us as we move forward. So help us take a step of faith. Let's just take a moment and just be silent. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you a little bit. What's the one step that I need to take today, this week? What's the one thing I need to change in my opinion and my mind? It's a bold question. It's a question of faith. It tests our faith. And, but ask him this morning. Ask him as you go from this place, as you have lunch, as you have a nap, as you read a book. What's the one thing, God, you want me to do? What's the one step I can take, oh God? Maybe that first step for you today is just to reaffirm your commitment that, hey, God, I want to know you. I want to follow you, Jesus. Maybe that's your first step. That's a, that's a big step. It's amazing. God, for those struggling to make the decision, Lord, I pray that you give them the confidence and the peace today. Maybe you just really need freedom. You've made that step. You know, God, and you say, God, I just need to let go of my past. Lord, it's bringing me down. It's holding me back. I need, I need you to deal with my past. God, I want to, I want to be free. I want to experience joy. I don't want to be bothered by those things anymore. He gives you freedom. Maybe you're just struggling. What do you want me to do? Who am I? What do you want me to do, God? Would you show me your purpose? 
Show me a step I can take to get involved, Lord. Maybe it means putting my hands in the dishpan, and maybe it means showing up at a hot dog lunch. Maybe it means just showing up in general, being faithful and committed to process and routine. God, but God, what is my purpose? Show me the step. And finally, God, we pray that you would use us to make a difference in this community. Lord, for those of us that have, have gone through this journey over the years, Lord, we know who we are. We know that we're doing what you've called us to do. I pray that we would see the seeds that we've planted turn into fruit, Jesus. I pray that we wouldn't get discouraged, that we wouldn't forget, oh God, the things you've called us to. God, I pray that we would remember your faithfulness first and foremost, and we'd begin to see the inheritance, Lord, the people that we have worked to make a difference in the lives of. I pray, oh God, that we'd feel the sense of accomplishment, that we would know, that we'd have confidence. Lord, give us the boldness and the confidence to take the next step. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.